Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The way I learned to draw was I would trace what was already created. My kids do the same thing now. They're getting into art. And so how I encourage them as like get tracing sheets. You're not cheating the system. You're learning and you're by whoever this artist was, you're kind of modeling what they had already set in place. That is exactly the picture that Peter is painting here within this example from Jesus. He's already done it, and now we just want to model or trace what he did. What does it mean to be like Jesus? Exactly, how do you do that? Well, today Pastor James tells us that we can model Jesus' life by doing what he did. Jesus didn't retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. Jesus simply relied on God to judge his case, and God always judges fairly. So, do we seek revenge when we're wronged or get angry at injustice? Or do we simply beseech God for His justice? Let's remember that God sees everything, and He knows when we've been mistreated. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. First Peter chapter two, let's talk about submission. Submission's a beautiful thing. As you're turning to first Peter chapter two, I'm gonna read you this, uh, this quote from Warren Wearsby. He defines this term for us, but he compares and contrasts it with another word, okay? So this is a difficult part of scripture to go through. Let's just be real. Last time was like, uh, submit to governing authorities. I don't wanna do that, right? I don't always wanna do that, let me say that. I don't always wanna do that, but it's what I'm called to do. There's no out. Unless they're asking you to compromise or to go against what the Word of God says and commands you to do. We're going through this thing where it's like submit to governing authorities, to these human institutions and all that good stuff. And then this next one is submitting to, to masters and all that. But let me define submission versus subjugation. Okay? Let me define these two things. Warren Wearsby says submission is not subjugation. Subjugation turns a person into a thing destroys individuality, and removes liberty, meaning subjugation to be subject to someone. Submission makes a person become more of what God wants them to be. It brings out individuality. It gives them the freedom to accomplish all that God has for their life and ministry. Subjugation is weakness. It is a refuge for those who are afraid of maturity. Submission is strength. It is the first step toward true maturity and ministry. See, in our culture, we kind of interchange those two. We mix those things up. And oftentimes that's found within bad marriage relationships. We don't like to use the word submission because, well, we confuse that with subjugation. But the Bible talks about submission as a beautiful thing. It's a military term. It's it's aligning yourself under somebody who is in command, so to speak. And it's not a lesser thing. It's not about being greater or lesser. It has nothing to do with that at all. But God has created this whole family system and he designed it a certain way where he wants the men to be the head of the home. And if we have problems with that, you take it up with him, okay? He wrote the book. He designed it. 
And there is nothing wrong with his plans. Nothing. So when husbands are fulfilling that role in making it easier, the thing concerning submission, when you look at how beautiful the definition of submission is, that creates a healthy environment, marriage-wise, family-wise. We're all called to submit. That, I use marriage as the you know, simple illustration there. But Peter says we're to submit to governing authorities. We're to submit to our, our bosses. We're to submit, as he'll say later on, we're to submit to one to another in this thing called church. It's a really good idea for us to get a good understanding of what submission is and that it's not subjugation. It's not you being subjected to, well, I'm the boss, you do what I say. The Lord has set this thing up like this and whatever the context is, he's put people in place there and all that good stuff. We, we just align ourselves with the leadership and we trust that the Lord knows what he's doing, that he knows what he's doing. So I like that definition. I wanted to read that before we get further into this because the term submission is going to continue to come up. And it's going to be addressed in all sorts of fronts, whether it's the work environment, I'm going to you know, phrase it like that, whether it's the family environment between husbands and wives, or it's the church environment. Submission is a beautiful thing. Makes you become more of what God has called you to be. I get it. There's, it has a bad rap. And I just, it's unfortunate when you don't see the beauty of this term and God's design behind it. So we're picking up in... Chapter 2, verse 18, and Peter goes on to address his next group of individuals. It says, slaves or servants, you who are slaves must submit, there's our term, to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Well, why did you have to add that, Peter? Like, why? Just, you know, you let us figure it out, right? Like, just tell us to submit, and then we can determine whether or not we want to. That's not how it works. He's like, it doesn't matter who your boss is or what your boss is like. As a servant, as somebody, and he's speaking to Christians, you represent God in all that you do. So when you go to work, you represent the Lord. You work for an employer or a company or an organization, but above that, you work for God. You're his representative, no matter where it is. So we are called to submit to those who are over us because we're a living example of him. We're a testimony. We're a testimony. And what kind of testimony would we be if it's, you know, my boss is a jerk. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna quit and I'm away. I'm gonna steal some extra pens and staples and all that stuff. Like that's a bad witness. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I hate that guy. You know that those aren't compatible, right? That's oil and water. Like the book of 1 James talks all about that, how you can't say, yes, I love God, but I hate that person. You can't do that. So Peter is framing this out to a people that, are, that make up the majority of the population in the Roman Empire. Most people were servants. That's really the term there. This is talking about household servants, these would be individuals who worked for individuals, but they oftentimes lived either in their houses or on their premises. Individuals who would fall within this category would be doctors. Almost all your doctors back in this time were slaves. They were servants. And this isn't the same term slave-wise as like a doulos or a you know, bond server or anything like that. This is like servant, household servant is what this is talking about. Luke, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. He was a slave. Most of those guys were slaves. They were servants, and they answered to someone. 
So as Peter is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's addressing individuals who are middle class and below, okay? Most of the church, individual-wise, were either middle class or lower middle class or just broke, right? I mean, that's just how it was back then. Not a lot of upper class people within the church back in this time. So Peter is going to address just the servants. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, would address both servants and masters. Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is just going to address the servants. And what he says to them is this, submit, submit. But you don't know my boss. I don't have to know your boss. He says, whether they're good or they're cruel, the the term they're cruel is, is scolios in the Greek where we get our term scoliosis, that curvature of the spine, or I would say crooked. They're just crooked. You're working for just a a crook of a boss, right? If they're your boss, now let me do this one thing, okay? Because context-wise, we're talking to people who didn't really have much of a choice in their employment back then. These household servants that he's talking about or talking to, they could save up their money and buy their own freedom. They, They very well could do that. But in our day, you have a decision. If you don't like your boss, go find another job. If you can, you're like, well, you don't know. That may not be possible. It may not be possible. Then you stay at that job and you represent the Lord Jesus. We don't have like, I mean, this isn't, this applies to us, yes, but he's writing to a group of people who had no choice at all. They had no choice at all. Where they, where they were servants at was where they had to stay unless they saved up enough money to buy their freedom. So there's no option for these guys. You don't like your boss? I'm sorry you don't like your boss. But you represent Jesus when you show up to work. Why? Because you don't know what the Lord's going to do with your witness with that crooked boss. Can God not save them through your testimony, through your witness on the job site? You don't know them. I'm sorry, are people too far gone to get saved? Nobody's outside of that realm, right? We hold on to that hope that, man, he can rescue anybody. If he saved me, he can rescue anybody. So he's talking to them, submission to their masters. The character of the boss doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And again, these are portions of scripture where we're like, how about we not revisit this one? You know, let's just get First Peter done, and then you can check it off your list of wanting to teach through the whole Bible, and then we'll just never come back to this book ever again, right? Like, that's oftentimes how we feel, sometimes how I feel about it. But, um, but the Lord has, he's just amazing in how he's like, no, we're going to slow down on this point. But I don't want to. He's like, that's why we're slowing down. Because um, <laughs> you don't want to. And probably there's people in the congregation who don't want you to slow down on this. So it's submission to masters, and their character doesn't matter. And look, he goes on to clarify some of this stuff as well. So regardless of their character, verse 19, it says, For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Right? So you got a bad boss. Well, the Lord's like, look, you stick it out. You represent me. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. I notice you're suffering. I'm the God who sees. And I'm also the God who cares. And so, and if you're mindful of his will, then maybe it's his will that you're currently working where you're at with the boss that you have because God's got a bigger plan than your paycheck. 
right? So we elevate that above everything else. And God's like, I'm in the business of souls. I'll take care of your needs. I'll supply your needs. You're on a mission. And if it's God's will for you to be where you're at, he's got you there for a reason, regardless of who the boss is. And God's like, I will take notes of your suffering. It's not wasted. And it's not falling on deaf and dumb ears. He takes note of that. And he appreciates your willingness to stick it out. He appreciates that. You patiently endure unjust treatment. And most of the audience that he's writing to were being treated unjustly. There's no OSHA. There's no like workers' rights or anything like that. Workmen's comp. Oh, you broke your arm? Well, I'll see you tomorrow. We got a job to do. Well, don't I get time off? Well, my wife just had a baby. Don't I get time off to? No, we don't do that. In fact, your wife needs to show up tomorrow too. <laughs> Bring the kid. Now you got an extra one, right? Like we can get more work done. Like there's no like human rights back then for the most part. We're very, very fortunate to live when we live, okay? It's not always easy, but my goodness, it's a lot simpler than what it was back then. So he's pleased when you're conscious of his will and patiently endure the unjust, unjust treatment. Verse 20, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, okay? <laughs> let, me, um, let me expound on this a little bit further. Let's assume um, you're leading a Bible study somewhere. And you're always late to Bible study. And so you're always getting speeding tickets on your way to Bible study. You are not suffering, okay? You are not suffering for the kingdom of God. Don't you dare say that. Oh, it's the man. It's the man. It's on me, right? No, we quit speeding, right? Like, leave early. Like, you can't, we can't attribute that to this. God's like, if you're doing wrong and you're getting punished for it, you deserve it. You deserve it. It's consequences. And he has to address that because there probably were people that were not being so submissive to their bosses and maybe smarting off all the time. And the bosses are like, well, we'll deal with this. And then they come back to the church and they like, keep beating me. Why are they beating you? Can't keep my mouth shut. Well, keep your mouth shut. This isn't rocket science here. This is, and Peter's like, don't, don't think that God's going to take note of that in the sense of like, oh, don't worry, I got you. When you get up here, don't worry, I'll make up for that. Like, no, he's like, you deserve that. You deserve that. So when you are at work representing Jesus, do us all a favor and represent him well. Please. Do not go, you know, guns blazing and all this stuff and you're pounding people over the head with your, you know, with your Bible and all that stuff. Treat them with dignity and respect. Actually live it out. Live it out. You will gain a greater audience if you just live it out. The Lord knows how to open doors within your conversations at the right time. And there's this thing called, you know, that we're talking about with vulnerability. I mean, you think that people are just going to like immediately receive everything that you have to say about their lives? You have to earn that. And oftentimes how we earn that is just showing up and being faithful stewards to what God has, has blessed us with. And sometimes that is a job. But we show up on time. We show up early. 
We stay as long as we need to. We go the extra mile, so to speak, because we represent him and we're there for our fellow employees however they need us to be there for them. And when tragedy strikes them and their families, and it will, who are they going to turn to? The one who's always been there for them. The one that's always been there for them. So he's like, be mindful of these things when you show up to work. You don't get credit for being beaten for doing wrong, okay? That's just, that doesn't work. And I think it's funny that he even has to say that, but he's got to say it because that's what we do. Woe is me. All right, he goes on. But if you suffer for doing good, same verse, verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So you keep showing up. You're a good employee. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're not a problem, so to speak. But they keep picking on you because you are a Christian. Just endure it patiently. God is taking note of that. He is taking note of that. The book of Romans talks about not seeking out revenge. Let God come to your defense. Let him be your defense. So even in the workplace environment, if you are being targeted because of your Christian viewpoints and your worldview and your allegiance to Jesus, let the Lord be your defense. Do not seek revenge. The Lord knows how to take care of you. Sometimes even in that taking care of you will not even be here, but it will be there when you show up to heaven. He's like, you know what? Thank you so much for sticking it out. I want to introduce you to some people that you weren't aware of it, but they were watching you every Monday through Friday when you showed up to work and they watched how you handled that abuse that was being handed out to you because of your belief in me. I want you to meet these people who came to know me because of your witness. Patiently endure. Patiently endure. Just trying to see the big picture, right? Just always trying to see the big picture. We want right suffering, not wrong suffering, but right suffering. And then let's look at the example that he gives to us, okay? So we got the submission versus subjugation thing, and we're called to submit and not to be subject to in the sense of losing our individuality or anything like that, but we're submitting to them and recognizing that we are probably where we're at, hopefully, because that's God's will for our lives. Verse 21, it says, He called you, for he called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is our example. And you must follow in his steps. So he throws it out there. Here's what you're supposed to do. And then he does this beautiful thing where he says, now here's your model. Here's your example. This is how you ought to live. And the example that he gives us is that of Jesus. And there's no greater example. There is no greater example. And so really the term here that he uses is this leaving you an example. It's a written copy, okay? And back then, so you'd have scribes and, you know, these guys who are well-versed in in writing, okay? And so oftentimes you'd have like a little apprentice be with you and you have to teach them how to write the right way, all right? I don't know if you remember, but writing doesn't come naturally for any of us, and some of us still haven't even caught on to the concept, right? <laughs> like, we're like, what does this say? Um, not, you know who you are, I don't know. Um, no, but what they would do is really brilliant. They would have like a, a sheet here with words written on it, and they'd put a, another sheet on top of that, and that this is how they learned to write. I love art. 
I love drawing. The way I learned how to draw was I'd take a piece of art and I'd take a, a tracing sheet and I'd put it over this artwork and then the way I learned to draw was I would trace what was already created. My kids do the same thing now. They're getting into art and so how I encourage them as like get tracing sheets. You're not cheating the system. You're learning and you're, by whoever this artist was, you're kind of modeling what they had already set in place. That is exactly the picture that Peter is painting here within this example from Jesus. He's already done it, and now we just want to model or trace what he did. Verse 23, it says, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. You're like, can you speed up past this part? Because I don't like this. Um, No, let me read it again then. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Oh, that's hard. Nor threatened revenge when he suffered. That's hard. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally, here's where it gets very heavy, He personally carried our sins. He personally carried our sins. He did no wrong. We did all the wrong. And he took all our baggage upon himself. So that we can be what? Well, he carried our sins in his body on the cross. Going back to the cross. And him taking my sins, just being poured out onto him while he's pinned to this cross. And the whole time they're screaming insults at him and they're spitting on him and they're pulling out pieces of his beard and they're just, they're humiliating him. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. But he did that, verse 24, the rest of it, so that... We can be dead to sin. He died on the cross so that we would die to our sins. Second part, and live for what is right. He died for our sins so that we could die to our sins in order to live for righteousness. So it doesn't just end with him dying for your sins. He died for your sins so that you would live righteously. I wrote it down like this. He suffered for our sins, so we should avoid getting into situations where we have to suffer for them too. Since he died for them, we should die to them and live for righteousness. If he died for them, then stay away from them. What is the point and what is the sense in suffering again for something that was suffered for already? And I get it. Let me just relieve some pressure from you. Sin is going to be a battle for the rest of your life. You will fall down. You will make mistakes. You will miss the mark. You will. But sin doesn't have to own you like it used to. It has no power over you. It has no power over you. It's been broken by him. So we need to realize this. We need to tap into that, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus from his death, burial, and resurrection, and the fact that the Holy Spirit resides in us. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hope, hope, 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the New Testament letter written by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter is a book full of empowering statements made from someone who knew firsthand what it was like to believe in Jesus and to face enemies of all kinds. Much of Peter's message is reminding us that although we might face fiery trials, in the end, God will lift us up for being faithful to him. Once again, Peter knew what it was like to suffer. He himself had once denied that he even knew Jesus. Surely there was a turmoil within him during those hours of denial. But he went on to be a spiritual pillar as the Christian church was birthed. We trust that as you're listening to these messages from 1 Peter, that you're being strengthened in your own walk and faith with the Lord. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're a group of people of all ages, coming together to magnify Jesus and find hope and new life in Him. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service, or we have a Thursday evening service too. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, if the Spirit leads you, there's a link to where you can support this ministry in a financial way. We're grateful for any support as we strive to spread the light of the gospel in a dark world. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, but we'll be back again next time in the book of 1 Peter. Pastor James is looking forward to sharing more with you here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.